In the book of Isaiah, you've got to understand those seven empires, but you also need to understand the Assyrian Empire because God uses each of these empires to enact his will upon the earth. At the same time that Isaiah lived, another prophet lived named Jonah. The non-believers, the ones who don't follow God, are saying, how can you as a follower of God not obey God? Even the world knows we should act different because God's going to take what Jonah did and turn it into a way of bringing an outrageous message in an outrageous way to a people that need to hear it. And now Jonah's going to be way more effective in sharing with the Ninevites. God loves everybody. Don't miss that. God loves everybody of all tribes, all languages, all nations, of all skin color. Now God is going to tell Isaiah to bring this message in an outrageous way. Because God is a God who shows outrageous love in outrageous ways. Many kids love to play a game called, Would You Rather? Would you rather? My grandkids love to play that game. Like, would you rather get a sunburn or frostbite? Would you rather get a sunburn or frostbite? If you had to choose, what would you choose? And then this may be more for the parents out there. Would you rather listen to Baby Shark or Frozen 2 for 24 hours straight? <laughs> okay, Frozen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they just play it over and over and over again. Uh, but here's one that might surprise you, rather. Would you rather feast in heaven or swim in a lake of manure? Now, some of you are going, wait a minute, why would you even say that? Guess what? We're going to see in this section of Isaiah that God is asking that question. He's asking, would you rather feast with him in heaven, celebrate with him in heaven, or would you rather swim in a lake of manure? See, we're coming to a section of Isaiah where God, God now is going to judge the world. Prior to this, he had judged individual nations. Now we come to this incredible section in Isaiah 24, 25, 26, 27, and 28, where God's judgment is upon the whole world, and Isaiah is watching it. Isaiah sees it. Remember, he saw a vision of this. He saw it happening. He heard it happening. And Isaiah is focused on a time, our time, our days, maybe just a little bit more into the future, but the not too distant future, where we are going to see God's judgment come upon this earth. God is going to cause the earth to have to pay for the sins it's done. And God uses this to have people wake up and choose a rather. Would you rather go to heaven or would you rather stay suffering? And so Isaiah begins to see it. Something else you need to know. The chronology of Isaiah 24 to 28 is exactly the same chronology as in the book of Revelation. So when you start in Revelation chapter 6 all the way to about 14, 15, 18, 19, uh, it's the same events occurring, just giving us different details of those events. So Isaiah looks into our time. Isaiah's looking into the last days. Isaiah's looking at the judgment of the world. Isaiah is talking about the this tribulation period with the seven trumpets and the seven bowls of wrath. He also is going to talk about something really incredible called the rapture, where the church is caught up out of all of this to be with God in heaven. And Isaiah gives us a picture of what happens there like nobody else. But what does he begin with? The desolation. He begins with the desolation. And in Isaiah 24, verse 1, it says this, Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste, devastates it, distorts its surface, and scatters its inhabitants. 
Isaiah's pointing out it's a devastating time for people all around the world. In verse 2, it says this, And the people will be like the priest, the servant like his master, the maid like her mistress, the buyer like the seller, the lender like the borrower, the creditor like the debtor. Now, what is he saying? There'll be no difference in what position you hold. Everybody will go through the same devastating judgment. Everyone will experience that same time of desolation. It doesn't matter how much money you have, how much education you have, what status you have, what race you are. If you're on this earth, you'll suffer. That's what he's saying. It will happen to all people. And in verse 3, he says, the earth will be completely laid waste, completely despoiled. For the Lord has spoken this word, that the earth mourns and withers, the world fades and withers. The exalted of the people of the earth fade away. So why? Why is God judging? And, and why is God doing this? The answer is the earth's polluted. Uh, there's an environmental pollution that takes place, and there's a moral pollution that has occurred. And so God judges based on this. And verse 5 brings that out where it says, The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants, for they transgressed laws, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. Therefore, therefore, a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are guilty and held guilty. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. It's a time of incredible desolation and devastation. The pollution, by the way, again, is both moral and environmental. And it says that all are guilty of breaking God's laws, of violating his statutes and not keeping his judgments. The laws of caring for one another would be a law that's being broken. And when we break these laws, we yield something. We yield bitterness and hate. I believe we're living in a time like that. I think we're getting ready for this to occur. I don't know about you. I cannot believe the amount of, of bitterness and the amount of hate and the amount of anger that people are voicing. People are saying things they wouldn't have said five years ago. Maybe they felt it, but they, they wouldn't have said it today. They're just free to unleash and free to vent. And we're seeing a time of moral pollution and people breaking the laws of caring for one another. By the way, this is one of the signs of the last days where in, in Romans 12, uh, we're told that do not be overcome by evil, be over, uh, but overcome evil with good. See, in the last days, the Bible says people's love will grow cold and they're going to be overcome by evil and not good. And God says there's a law, a statute I don't want you to violate. Romans 12, 21 again, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You and I, all of us, need to take this warning seriously. See, do you find yourself angry with others right now? Do you find yourself even wanting to attack them? Maybe, maybe you haven't done it yet, but the thoughts of in your mind about unleashing and, and, and just letting out all those things. And God says, what are you doing? You're being overcome with evil and you're breaking one of my laws. And that is one reason God will judge the world in the very last days. And so God is saying, I don't want you to be a part of that. We actually now have termed the, 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 the idea or the phrase uh, a cancel culture. And no Christian should ever be a part of canceling other people out. By the way, even if they're your enemy, what does God tell you to do to your enemy? You, you guys already know. Put it in the chat. God says what? To what are you to do to your enemy? You love your enemy. And we shine as lights in the world because of that. We don't cancel them. We don't attack them. We don't become be overcome by evil. But we use good. 
We use love, we use care. And we violate laws of caring and join a culture that has become cold, then God says the earth will be judged because it's being polluted. It's being polluted by that. Uh, another way pollution is occurring is laws of sexual purity. In Romans 1, we're warned that God's wrath is revealed against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. And in Romans 1.18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And then Paul goes on to list the things he's talking about in Romans 1. you got to read it. you got to read it. And what you're going to read is about our days and times. It was bad back then. It's worse today. And, and people are breaking the laws of sexual purity. Uh, the idea that sex should be something treasured and, and kept between a husband and wife in marriage and there alone. And, and today that's just being cast aside and thrown aside and, and nobody's, nobody's, nobody's in that. So God doesn't want you to be that way. God doesn't want you to do that. Isaiah sees a time when joy is gone, where there's no music and no wine and no parties, and all joy is turned into gloom. In Isaiah 24, verse 10 and 11, it says, The city writhes in chaos. Every home is locked to keep out intruders. Mobs gather in the streets, crying out for wine. Joy has turned to gloom. Gladness has been banished from the land. Doesn't that sound like our day and time? Listen to it again. It says every home is locked to keep out intruders. I feel like today that people are so afraid they're locking their doors more than ever. Mobs are gathering in the streets. We're seeing that right before our eyes. And, and crying out uh, uh, for, for alcohol, crying out for more things like that. And then he goes on to say there's no gladness, there's no joy. It's banished from the land. Um, the Bible says that God... God's going to have this be a time of judgment. And Isaiah goes on to point out the judgment is just not upon people. It's on the devil and his angels. And he alludes to that in Isaiah 24, 21, where it says, So it will happen in that day that the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on the earth. God is going to judge the host of heaven on high, meaning the devil and his angels, and the leaders of the world. The leaders of the world. And what is Isaiah's reaction to that judgment? How does he react in seeing all this desolation? It should be the same reaction you and I have. The first one might surprise you. He praises God. Number one, he praises God. Why? Because God's in control. And you and I, even in days like this where it seems things are chaotic and out of control, we can praise God that overall he is in control. And one way we see that is he told us all this would happen before it occurred. In Isaiah 25 verse 1, he goes on with the apocalyptic vision and says this, O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name, for you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. He praises God for working wonders and carrying out his plan with perfect faithfulness. Notice that. By the way, I tell you this all the time. Every prophecy in the Bible that could come true has come true 100%. And every one that's still to come will come true. Will come true 100%. 100%. And that's what Isaiah is saying. He's saying these are plans you formed long ago. And then you performed them with perfect faithfulness. And God has told us ahead of time what's coming. One reason we're studying Isaiah is not only to see what God has done in the past, to see what God is going to do in our days and then the days to come. So he goes on to praise God for being a refuge for us in the storm and in the judgment that's upon the world. And you and I, you and I can praise God in times like that. I know it's not easy, but that's the reaction you should have. 
If you lose your job, you can praise God knowing one day he'll take care of you. Somehow you'll make it through. If you're single, by the way, all you who are single, you can praise God. God's preparing you for that person you'll meet one day. But he's also giving you joy in this season. Uh, if you're in a time of trials, you can praise God that he's going to use it to refine you and make you better. We can all react with praise. And one way we can react with praise is to know this, is that, that the rapture is coming. Uh, we can praise God that we're not going to stay here forever. At some point, I believe in our lifetime, by the way, I believe, <laughs> I'm older than you guys, I believe in your lifetime at least, that the rapture is going to occur. And what is that? Uh, it's a, the rapture is a Latin word to be snatched up or snatched out. And, and that's coming. And so Isaiah says two things that we need to do. We need to praise God for what's happening, and we need to be ready. We need to be ready. Uh, over and over in the Bible, an illustration is given of, of the rapture being like being called to the wedding. And then even more, Isaiah is going to be saying, called to the wedding feast. And the way it, it talks about or illustrates being ready is to have your wedding clothes. Uh, recently, I did Sawyer and Jordan's wedding. And uh, so I, I was bringing my suit with me all the way back to Alabama. Now, that meant I had to fly, and by the way, I had to fly on a plane under COVID conditions, which is not pleasant. But I, I'm getting on the plane, and I've got my suit, and, and I don't want to get it messed up. I've got it in my hands. And I say to the flight attendant, hey, can I hang this somewhere? And she said, sure. And she showed me a place to hang it so I could keep it neat. And then I said, will you remind me? to get it before I get off the plane because I can't lose this. I can't, if I leave it on the plane, guess what? I would show up at the wedding <laughs> with no wedding clothes. I wouldn't be ready. And, and she looked right at me and said, no, I can't. And I said, you can't? She goes, no. And I said, you really won't help me. She goes, nope, it's all on you. It's all on you. I'm sitting there and I turn to Pam and I say, Pam, you got to remind me to get my suit. Pam goes, you know how forgetful I am. Go up, thank you. Like no one's going to remind, it's all on me to be ready. So I get off the first flight, grab the suit, make it, get on the next flight, guess what, same thing, they're not gonna help me. I alone had to be sure I was ready. I alone had to have my wedding clothes. And guess what, guess what, I did. So when the moment of the wedding came, I was ready. And guess what, I was ready. I made it to Jordan and Sawyer's wedding with my suit, with my wedding clothes. I wasn't embarrassed, I was ready for the wedding and it turned out incredible. But here's what I wanna tell you. Jesus says, you and I need to be ready. And he refers to this. He says, you've got to have your wedding clothes. Now, what does Jesus mean by wedding clothes? Wedding clothes, according to Jesus, are the righteous acts of the saints. The way we show love. The way we show care. The way you use your spiritual gift to go and encourage other believers. Uh, to serve Jesus. Uh, the, the way you give of your finances. All those things. Uh, your time, talent, and treasure. Are the wedding clothes you have. And Jesus said, be ready, be ready, be ready. In other words, be faithful every moment, every day, and everything. And then the rapture is going to happen. And that's what happens in Isaiah. Isaiah is seeing all the desolation. All the hurt. All the pain. And then right in the midst of it, the rapture occurs. And that means that we're caught up again uh, to be with the Lord in the air. Listen to how Isaiah talks about it. In Isaiah 26, verse 19, your dead will live. The corpse, corpses will rise. You, will, uh, you, will, you who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. I love the shout for joy part. He goes, shout for joy. For your dew will be as the dew of the dawn. And the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. And then he says this, come my people and enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while 
until the indignation has run its course. That's what happens in the rapture. We are caught up to be with the Lord. We're snapped out, caught up, so that we will not be a part of all the indignation that's about to come on the earth, all the horrors that are about to happen. And so in a moment of time, Christians are going to disappear. Now remember, the earth is already in a sad state, a bad place. And then in a twinkling of an eye, and the Bible actually almost calls it an atomic second, Christians will disappear. Uh, not just hundreds, not just thousands, uh, millions, maybe a billion people will disappear in a moment. And, and that means the cars that were driven by Christians will go crashing because nobody's driving. If a Christian's a, a pilot, there'll be nobody to land the plane. Uh, if the Christian's a doctor, there'll be no one to finish the surgery. And by the way, a lot of Christians are doctors. Uh, if a Christian's about to deliver the baby, guess what? The baby goes too. But if the mom's not a Christian, she's laying there. The doctor's gone. The baby's gone. All caught up into heaven. By the way, babies who are outside the womb or babies inside the womb. All to go to be with the Lord. And so we know when the rapture happens, we go and meet Jesus in the air. And you know who's with him there? All of those who preceded us, who are believers that we thought died. And they didn't die. They just went to this incredible moment in time. Listen to what it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. And he's talking about Christians who had died. So that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself would descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be uh, caught up, will be caught up. And by the way, if this was written in the Latin Vulgate, it would say, we will be raptured together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. These are comforting words. These are good words. We have a place to go, a place to be, a, 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 an attendance to make, an invitation that to be realized. That's what God wants for you, and that's what God wants for me. In Revelation 10 to 12, chapters 10, 11, and 12, John talks about this. John pictures this, and that's what Isaiah is seeing too. But Isaiah is about to tell us things John didn't tell us. He wants us to know things that John didn't make known to us. And what is that? What are we going to be doing for that time we're in heaven while everyone else is on the earth going through a tribulation that now we are not a part of, an indignation that we do not have to undergo? And it says this. It says we are going to be celebrating at the wedding feast. Uh, I don't know about you, but weddings are awesome. It's the wedding feast that's better. <laughs> It's like the food afterwards, you know, and so when the wedding's over, sometimes I feel like, you know, to be honest, some of us pastors make the wedding boring, but the feast is your reward later. Uh, here's what you need to know, is there's going to be a wedding feast in heaven. In Isaiah 25, verse 6, it says this, the Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. The Lord will prepare it. The Lord will prepare the food, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces of marrow and refined aged wine. Uh, marrow means the best of the meat, the best of the meat. So then when we get to go to heaven, we get to partake in this amazing feast. 
It's going to be incredible. By the way, it's going to be out of this world. And by it's really going to be out of this world. Out of this world is how this meal is going to be. I don't know if you've ever had food prepared by a real chef. Uh, Pam and I have got to do that quite a bit on special occasions. And you know what's so wild is I've learned it doesn't matter what they say we're going to eat, it's always going to be good. Uh, I've had chefs uh, uh, say they're going to serve a particular food. And at first I'm thinking, I usually don't like that. But guess what? Every time I love it. And I'm going to say this every time I love it because they somehow know how to make it in a way that it's the most incredible thing you've ever eaten. God himself will prepare this meal. He himself will serve this meal. And it's going to be incredible. I, and, and it says we're going to have uh, the best, best, best meat there is. <laughs> all right, I'm going to get it out there. For all you are vegetarians, I don't know what you're going to do. <laughs> I'm eating. Anybody else eating? Put it in the chat. I'm eating. And you know what? It'll be better than Wagyu beef. If you don't know what Wagyu beef is, it's a, a Kobe-style beef. It's the most expensive beef right now in the, in the world. But you know what? It won't even compare to what God's going to serve. And then it says he's going to serve us wine. Not just wine, refined wine, aged wine, uh, uh, that's made by the master winemaker himself. Uh, those who know food know how to pair wine and meat. God is going to be the one doing the pairing. And when that happens, it's going to be incredible. It's the banquet that we are invited to by Jesus and promised by Jesus. In Luke chapter 12, verse 35 to 37, it says, Be dressed and in readiness. Did you catch that? Be dressed in readiness. That's what he says. And keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes. Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert. And when he comes, truly I say to you, that he, the master, will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and wait on them. Oh my. Jesus said, I cannot wait to get you to this meal. I can't get to wait to get you to this celebration. I am going to wait on you. You're not going to wait on me. Why? Because he loves you. He cares about you. And he wants it to be perfect. He wants it to be perfect. And he says, but you and I need to be on the alert and ready for the moment it comes, the ready for the timing that it takes place. In Matthew 8, verse 11, it says this, I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham's the father of faith the patriarch of the Old Testament, the one that God chose to begin it all. And you know what? We're going to see Abraham, meet Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob. Men, men who walked with God in amazing times. People we've read about in the Bible. We get to be with them. We get to meet them. And then it also says this, not just them. It says this, they will Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom, he says though, will be cast out into outer darkness in that place there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. That there will be those who will make it to the wedding feast and those who won't. People who were supposed to be there won't be there because they were not ready, they were not faithful, they were not committed. Not because they weren't loved, because they didn't love God enough, Jesus enough, to make him first in their life, first in their heart, first in how they live. And it says they'll be cast out into a plate of weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
They will not be in the wedding feast, but undergoing the indignation. But those of us who know the Lord, we get to be there. We get to be there. And once we're there, it's a place of no more tears and no more sorrow and no more death. Isaiah describes it this way. He says, and on this mountain, he, God, will swallow up the covering, which is over all people, even the veil, which is stretched out over all nations. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. And he will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said down in that day, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited, that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Death swallowed up for all time and all eternity, never to die again, never to shed another tear, never to not know great, great times of joy. I, in Corinthians, the letter to the Corinthians, this is also described. Listen to what it says. It's talking about the rapture and the ending of death. It says, now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Notice the perishable put on the imperishable. Uh, by the way, that means that this body that's perishable will actually become imperishable. Uh, I, it'll be new. It'll be alive. It'll be a new body. And he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when the perishable has put on imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up. Death is swallowed up. In victory, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. No more death, no more dying, no more pain, and no more separation. No more separation. Pam and I have two children that are in heaven, and we're going to get to see them. No more separation. My mom, my dad, my grandmother, my grandfather are in heaven. No more separation. I get to see them. I, uh, I lots and lots of friends, lots of people I've shared life with that preceded me, some way younger than me, some way younger than me. And I can't wait to see them. No more separation. And that's what we look forward to. So what is God telling us to do through Isaiah? He's saying, I want you to praise God during these times, but I want you to be ready so that when the day comes, the moment comes, the rapture happens, you go. You're not left behind. You're not cast out. But you get to go to this incredible, incredible celebration. And that's for you. And bam! He's back here in a place of isolation and judgment. Isaiah's in a place of loneliness. I mean, that's what this is. He was in a place where people loved and cared for each other and celebrated together. And now, all of a sudden, he's put back here on earth to see the judgment. He saw desolation. He caught up in celebration and, and uniting together with people he loved. And God is asking you and I, even now, where do you want to be? What do you want? What kind of life do you want to live? Because Isaiah is seeing the horrors again that are happening on the earth. And Isaiah begins to describe them in a way that I think for many is shocking. Uh, he says this in Isaiah 25, verse 10. It says, For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain. And Moab, and Moab, by the way, is, is 
a, a name that is used for all those who are enemies of God. Uh, in other words, it, it is meant to illustrate everybody who does not choose Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It says, Moab will be trodden down in his place as straw is trodden down in a water of manure pile. That's what I was talking about in the very beginning. He said it's like a, a watery lake, a lake of manure, a manure pile. And then it says, Moab, the people who do not choose God, he will spread out his hands in the middle of it, in the middle of the lake of manure, as a swimmer spreads out his hands to swim, but the Lord will lay low his pride together with the trickery of his hands. The unassailable fortifications of your walls, he will bring down, lay low, and cast to the ground even the dust. Everything that people were holding on to will be thrown down and cast down. And they will be thrown into a place that's grotesque, that's sick, that smells. And God is saying, you don't have to be there. You could be in the celebration, you could be in the place of wonder, but instead, instead you've chosen not to choose my son, not to say yes to the invitation to come. And everybody, you're invited, I'm invited, we're all invited, your friends are invited, everyone's invited to the wedding feast. The question is, do you want to go? The question is, do you want to be there? And so Isaiah saying, you know what, I, I watched God bring desolation and I praise God for it, number one. Number two, I, I want to call to everybody, be ready and say yes to the invitation. But then there's a third thing. In these days and in these times, be steadfast. Don't let the world determine your attitude. Don't let society cause you to choose its values. Choose God, choose his way, choose his love. In Isaiah 26, verse 1, it says, In that day, the day that we're right, the day we hold strong, in that day the song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up its walls and ramparts for security. Then it says, Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the one that remains faithful, the steadfast of mind. Listen to this promise. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. And then the invitation, trust in the Lord forever, for in God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. Trust in God forever, now and forever. And God is saying, I have a place for you to go to. I'm preparing a banquet for you to celebrate in. I'm preparing for you to be with me in an even more visible vibrant way but you know what here's the good news you could be with god today you could trust in god today and and then if you do that you'll have a steadfast mind because you're focused on god focused on his ways as revealed in the bible and you know what we're told then that god will keep you in perfect peace even now even even today even in the midst of the crisis we're in and and the greater crisis that's coming you and i can have perfect peace and how do you get that? Well, number one, you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Then you focus on him. So all of you who love the Lord, you need to stay focused on the Lord. You need to, to read his word and do what his word says and, and pray and seek him and, and, and be aware of his presence and promise and power in your life. 
But if you right now aren't in a relationship with Jesus, guess what? You've been given an invitation. You've been told by God, I love you. You've been told by God, I have always loved you with an everlasting love. So right now, you can have that. And how do you do it? How do you enter into that relationship? Well, number one, you say yes to it. Uh, the Bible says you call in the name of the Lord and be saved. You say yes. You say yes. And in a moment, I'm going to lead a prayer where you can say yes to Jesus. Some of you need to pray that for the very first time. Some of you need to come back to him. Some of you need to pray it for your marriage. Some of you need to pray it because you've been overcome by evil and not good. Some of you need to be free. You need to be set free. But you need to pray that prayer with me and say yes to him. The second thing you have to do is you've got to make it known. The Bible says clearly that's what you do. You you have to RSVP. You have to make it known. And and how do you do that? Well, how we want you to do that with us is this, is we want you to text AMEN, and AMEN means the truth, and it means for real. Text AMEN to 69922. Grab your phone. uh, Grab your iPad. Grab a computer. Text AMEN to 69922. And when you do, by the way, you need to make it known you're doing this. So we're going to want to know your name. We're going to probably want to know a little bit about you. But most of all, we want to send you a copy uh, of the best-selling book, The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. You'll get a free electronic copy when you let us know who you are. And that book will help you know the next steps to take to fulfill the purpose God has for you. Amazing book. You need it. We want you to have it for free. But right now, it all begins with praying that prayer and then making it known through texting. Or by the way, you can email me at chuck at crossroadschurch.com. But just make it known. But let's start with the prayer. I'm hoping some of you right now will say yes to Jesus. You'll open your heart to him or recommit your life to him. I want to ask you to think about it. Don't you want that? Because he wants you. He loves you. He cares about you. It's no accident you're watching this right now. It's no accident you're listening to this right now. He cares about you and loves you. So this is a time that I don't want you to pass up. I don't want you to pass by. Let me pray for you. Lord, I pray right now for each and every person that's either watching or listening, that they would know your love is real. And you told us all that's coming ahead of time so we would not be caught off guard. And I pray right now that that those who, this is their moment, this is their time, something inside, they'll know it's, it is. And I pray they won't fight this off. I pray they're not going to hold off. I pray they're going to say yes. God, I pray they're going to say yes. Is that you? I think it is some of you. And if it is, pray these words with me. Say, Lord Jesus. Say the word. Say, Lord Jesus. I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me and you died for my sins. I pray you'll forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. I pray you'll heal me from hurt and pain. I pray you'll free me from anything that's holding me down or holding me back. Now pray these words, pray, but most of all, I pray you'll make me yours, I pray you'll make me alive, and I pray you'll make me brand new. So I say yes. And if those are the only words you could say, just say that. Say, I say yes. I say yes to you, and I say yes to the life you have for me. So take me now and make me yours in Jesus' name. And here's the word, amen. 
Amen. And by the way, all of you who prayed that prayer, praise God. Because guess what? You get to go here and not be left there. And you one day, when that day comes, you are going to be in heaven with all of us. And we get to do that together. And so I want to tell you, we couldn't be more excited for you. And, and so again, if you prayed this prayer, if you texted amen, make sure you do text amen. And we want to make sure and get you a copy of the Purpose Driven Life so you live with purpose till you get to be in that place where you fulfill your purpose. But we, we are so excited that as we end this time together, that we get to share more in what God has for us, more in his love, more in life, more in joy, and may it grow for you. So may God's love be with you. Uh, may his joy be within you. May his peace pervade every part of your existence. And may you know his love every day till we meet again and beyond. God bless you guys.